Hey, what's going on, guys? Hope you're super well. So this week, I have a super awesome interview for you guys. This one features a friend of mine uh, by the name of Sharice. She's a very talented writer, DJ, and creative consultant. Now, uh, this week, uh, she talks about her journey from Zimbabwe to London. And I can super, super relate to that, guys, being um, an immigrant myself. Uh, coming from Jamaica to London and trying to find your way. So in this interview, guys, she shares her story, um, talks about her journey from Zimbabwe to London, trying to find herself in London, um, moving from Reading um, to London to pursue her, pursue her dreams because that's where the action was. Um, so I'm hoping that this interview will inspire you guys to take a leap of faith and go out there and crush it and do something awesome. Uh, so I'm super excited to share it with you guys. So here it is. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Sean Fraser Show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hope you're super well. Welcome to the Sean Fraser Show. On today's show, I have uh, for you guys a uh, guest of mine, uh, Sharice. Hello. Hey. Now, um, Sharice is a writer, uh, creative consultant, and a DJ. So we, today, we're just going to uh, chop it up, um, talk about your story, mm-hmm. your journey, um, and how you got involved with uh, what you're doing today. Yeah. Uh, so let's start from the, the very beginning, as, as early as you know you possibly can. So you're a writer, you're a DJ, you're a creative consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, how did everything all start for you? Um, it started, it was writing. Writing's always been my constant. So I think when I was like 15, I like started this blog. And that's where Authentic Duplicate came from, because right. I came up with that name. And it was just like a blogspot blog that I had. Um, and I would just write about like music that I liked. I was really into fashion then, and I thought I wanted to like go into fashion mm-hmm. journalism, mm-hmm. but later mm-hmm. I realised that that's not what I wanted to do. But yeah, so I would like post like outfit pictures of things that I'd like put together, um, and I'd write about, like put like write about other people's like designers' clothes and right. things like that. Just like yeah, it was just a little blog that I had, and I'd called it Authentic Duplicate. Um, to me, the whole concept, which has kind of grown and evolved with me over time. But at the beginning, it was just the idea um, that as much as I am an authentic person in everything that I do, I strive to be authentic and I'm an individual. Mm-hmm. I'm also a result of everything that's come before me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And also Makes just sense. the fact that like, for me to be here, there are people. There have been people who have paved the way mm-hmm. and people who have sort of influenced me. So it's about paying homage to those people and always reminding myself of that sort of history yeah. and carrying it in everything that I do. Okay. Um, so, so yeah. Who, who, so who are sort of some of the people that have influenced you? And, and... Uh, I say like first my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was born in Zimbabwe, yeah. but then I came here, I was three. Okay. So even though like I haven't lived in Zim for which pretty much most of my life, like I'm quite grounded mm-hmm. in my culture um, and kind of understand the traditions I've been back. So my parents have been responsible for that. And then I'd say in terms of being exposed to loads of different worlds, um, I say it's like my friends, the schools that I've been to, I've kind of lived in different areas and moved around and gone to different schools, like schools that are predominantly white and mm-hmm. then been schools that are really monocultural yeah. and then like lived in like the area that was kind of see nobody wants to go there yeah. and then lived in the area where like all the rich people live so you moved around quite a bit yeah so okay. Okay. I think it's just my environment and 
being an immigrant, being somebody that has to adapt mm-hmm. to different situations. Different situations. Um, I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in Jamaica, so okay. yeah. So okay. I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trying to find a spot that you can settle down and, and just, you know, call this place sort yeah. of a home sort of thing. Um, now, um, you, you came here when you were three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I presume you've been back to Zimbabwe yeah, uh, yeah. quite a few times. Um, whereabouts in Zimbabwe? I was were you born, born in Harare, but we grew like I lived in Blue Area for a period of time as okay. well. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So what's it like there? Do you have any recollection of what it, what it's um, like living there at all? I remember people more so than like the actual. But well, every time that I've gone back, because like at the, at the end of the year, I'm going to South Africa and to Zimbabwe by myself. Because when you go back with family and you're young. You're kind of sheltered. Yeah. So yeah. all I ever saw was like you go and visit relatives. And it was just people's houses, but I don't know the country for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I also didn't go to school there, so I didn't really like get that experience either. So in terms of like, um, I can tell you more about the people and culture and traditions as opposed to like society and mm-hmm. life in Zim because I haven't really experienced it okay. like that. Okay. But um, I just remember that the the community is like something that I remember vividly. And just that everybody is like your parent, like your right. second parent. Yeah. And Sounds like Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. So if you go outside, like you know all the kids yeah. in the area, yeah. and you run around. If you do something, you get in trouble. Like you can't come home and be like, "Mom, this person like told me off about this." Because your mom will be like, "Why were you doing that yeah. sort of thing?" So yeah. you know, there's always eyes on you, and you can get lost, but you'll figure out your way home because mm-hmm. somebody knows your mom or somebody knows. So that's one thing that I remember very vividly and just like the freedom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there wasn't that like, because now I guess when we moved here, it'd be like my mom would be like, you have to be home at this time and she's worrying. Mm-hmm. But in Zimbabwe, there was just a lot more freedom, freedom. because you knew that you were safe mm-hmm. um, and there wasn't... But when you were three then, was, was it Reading you moved to when you came to England or was uh, it London you moved to? I think we, we lived in Slough first. Okay. Then from Slough we moved to Reading. Right. In Reading we moved it around a little bit. And then I moved out of home right. to come to London, but okay. my parents still live in Reading. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Now, um, let's take it back a little bit to when you actually start journaling and, and that sort of stuff. Um, you said you started that when you were around about 15 yeah, or so. Yeah. Uh, what was sort of inspiring you, or were there any journalists that were inspiring you, or writers that were inspiring you back then to sort mm-hmm. of um, pursue that sort of uh, creative avenue at Yeah. All? So, um, I used to love... Um, this writer, she had a blog at the time. Now she's kind of moved into more self-portrait photography. She still writes essays, but at the time her blog was called Teftopia, and it was also right. a blog spot. Okay. And I loved her blog because she had... So she wrote about music, and she wrote about food, and she took her own photographs, mm. like self-portraits, but also images of like just general like photography that would go with the things that she wrote right. about. But then she was also right about fashion, and she would integrate all of them. Okay. And they would all kind of... There wasn't, like, a, a cutting point. There wasn't... I think, there, I think what I loved about it was that there was an acknowledgement that everything is linked somehow. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to art, like, all, like if you're... I don't know, decide to write a book, you need somebody that's going to design the cover, you need, like, everything connects somehow. So she used to be a vessel for all of that. Okay. And I just really, like, that really excited me um, because I also had a lot of different interests. And I just loved the way that she wrote. She was a very creative, lyrical writer as well. But then it was still journalistic. Um, And I'm trying to think who else at the time was influenced 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I used to read a lot of people's fashion blogs mm-hmm. um, and just look at their outfit pictures. So I think for me, it was like a dreaming thing. In right. terms of the fashion, it was a dreaming thing, like seeing people put together certain outfits. And, and then for me, like I couldn't always afford those outfits. Right, right. So I would try and make it work in my own yeah, way. Yeah. So whether it's like making stuff or finding stuff in the charity shop or... So it was just more about the dreaming aspect. So all the time, like I used to get frustrated because I'd make these... um collages of outfits and it'll be like a sort of like what I'm going to wear in spring summer but it never came about because <laughs> yeah. I could never afford to buy the yeah, stuff yeah. that I'd made in the thing yeah. so it was just it was all very much dreaming but then in terms of the writing about music and about life it was me observing life and finding a way to express myself and mm-hmm. I think for me there was I didn't really have many people around me that were doing the things that I was interested right. in mm-hmm. and then people who like were sort of like in the areas that I dreamed about didn't really look like me or right. reflected who uh, I was yeah. or where I'd come from yeah. Yeah. so it was just kind of and then I think also I was always a very observant and analytical child mm-hmm. and so things like in terms of like my parents relationship in terms of like the dynamic of us like being immigrants and all of these things I would just notice and try to make sense of mm, things and mm. writing became the way that I could. Um, so when I was like, it was also quite therapeutic mm, for me. So mm. like frustrations, like anger, happiness, like I would just write it mm. all down because it was like a way of me processing it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it is like a variety of things. But yeah, that's kind of why so I started writing. Is it, is there sort of, um, cause I know sort of some sort of writers, they have sort of a, an affinity or, or uh, sort of, um, a love for the written word as opposed to things like video, audio, and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is is there a sort of, um, you know, something that sort of just gets you, you know, more interested in the written word than sort of any other sort of uh, formats? Or mm-hmm. are you quite versatile yeah. in terms of... I mean, I, I've, I'm quite... Ver- well, I've done, that's the things I, I think... I've, I'm interested in a lot of other ways of telling stories, mm-hmm. but the constant has always been writing. Mm-hmm. Because I studied photography um, and, I, and media in my A-levels. And I like, did photography. I was really passionate about photography for a while. Mm-hmm. Less so now. Um, but I think the reason why I always come back to writing... One, English was always my strongest mm-hmm. subject. And I'd always known that from young. Like, I was a big reader right. when I was younger. And I know I was like, in primary school, like, I was skipped. Like, you know how every year has their books that they read? Like, the year one books, the year two. So I was, like, skipped a few stages All and right, I was reading okay. the books yeah. then. Even in, like, so then in secondary school, and then I did English, it was just always the subject that I didn't have to put as much effort in because I had, mm-hmm. like, a natural, like, ability, ability for, for it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first thing. But then also, um, one, is just the fact that words, especially the written word, is one thing, like, once it's been put down, like, it's, it, it can never fade. Mm-hmm. Like, it carries on mm-hmm. through centuries and people will always be able to refer back to that and it's cemented Mm -hmm. and I feel for me that's when you put thoughts that are in your mind and you put them down on paper it's like you're affirming them and then I also just love the art of it like I love wordplay so I think when I first got became interested in music it was hip-hop right and it was the wordplay and the way that you can manipulate words and and say things in different ways and mean different things but people can interpret like double, it. Like double meanings yeah, to, to, yeah. to one sentence or something like that. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's that, the, the playfulness of it as well. Um, and I think also just language and communication. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's you, you begin to learn different ways to speak to different people and different voices and different tones. Mm-hmm. And I think when you master that, uh, it opens doors to mm-hmm. so many 
different areas of life um, in a way like because everybody has to communicate everybody has to like with photography somebody can choose to be interested in photography or not but in terms of like language everybody has to use that yeah. in one way or another yeah um, I was actually speaking because recently I've been really passionate like interested in in the power of language mm. um, as, as a tool and how so for example like if you work in the in corporate industries or if you work in an office there's a certain language that yeah, you yeah, speak yeah. and if you can't and have you noticed that language, it varies from different environments to environments yeah, yeah. like you, you go up to the city and they speak a certain way but then you come to somewhere like South East and it's like it's, different. it's an office but it's like a different sort yeah. of thing or, yeah. so I'm really interested in like so for example like if you can't if you're unable to speak the language of a certain environment you don't get the access to mm -hmm. like the resources or the power or the influence that they That's have or the people that are in positions of authority and power unless you speak their language they don't take you seriously mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so but then that education isn't given to everybody mm -hmm. so it's limited to a certain group of people and that's how they maintain their power mm -hmm. and so it's that's something that because the, really the thing is with language as well it's, it's deep as well because it's like there's so many sort of um I don't know if nuances would be the word, but mm -hmm. there's so many different, like, you could say the same word, or me and you could say the same word, and yeah, there could yeah. be a third person here, but the way we say it complete, mm -hmm. is completely different from how they would say it. So yeah, and, yeah. You know, and they would interpret it a bit different from how we are interpreting it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's super interesting. Um, so you started off as a, uh, a journalist. Mm -hmm. um, I know you do creative consulting, DJing, and other... Um, you know, other stuff as well. Um, so when you first decided that, okay, writing's my passion, you know, it's, it's sort of something I definitely want to, want to pursue a bit, bit, bit further, uh, what, what was the next step for you? What, what did you do um, from, from, from there? Um, so it was, yeah, it was that blog. And at the time I lived in Reading, and again, there weren't really many people that mm -hmm. were doing that. But through social media, um, London was... Mm -hmm. I developed this like big affinity for London because mm -hmm. all like young black kids that were doing like following their dreams mm -hmm. and following creative roots on social media they all seem to be from London right. yeah. the opportunities were from like in London so like then I remember um, there was this uh, her name's Akua Akua Apia and she posted um, this advert on Twitter about a new magazine that she was starting mm -hmm. and it was called VS Notebook and they were looking for writers and right. stuff like that so I like sent an email. I think I was sixteen at that point because I all I wanted like at that point was like I want to go to London. Yeah, like yeah. whatever I'm going to do, this like what I want to do. Nobody here is doing it here, and in this place that I live in, it's like the constant routine. Everything's the same. Mm -hmm. You go into town, you see the same thing, mm -hmm. the same people. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. Mm -hmm. So I was like set on like I'm going to London somehow, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. So I would like save. So I mean, anyway, I sent that email to her, and then she was like read my blog and stuff and like I was really surprised because she was like oh would you want to be our editorial assistant mm -hmm. and at that time I was like so I didn't know what it was like editorial assistant mm -hmm. so I went on Google and then I was like okay this is what editorial assistant is you're like underneath the editor you're working with them you're responsible for this this and this and this I was like okay I can I can do this yep. and then like I was like yeah 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 I'd love to um, so then I started working with them for a while. I was doing the editorial assistant for, I think I was working with them for about three years. And they like, so what I used to do is I'd save up like my lunch money to buy train tickets. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I just wouldn't pay for a train ticket. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes like, I then I started working at about 17. So then I was like constantly coming to London. I'd work with them and like I was writing on this like um, website that was created and it grew and it was really great. 
And through that, um, there's a magazine called Certified UK, which is all about like up and coming artists in the UK. Mm-hmm. And Nick, who founded that, Nick Asiyama, he sent me a DM on Twitter and was like, hi, would you be interested in writing for us? So I was just like, yeah, like for me, I was just very excited mm-hmm. and I was so passionate and so driven. And all I wanted to do was to do this thing mm-hmm. that I'd like fallen in mm-hmm. love with. And like, so I was working at VS Notebook, editorial assistant, and then I became a writer slash journalist at Certified UK. But this is while I was doing my A-levels as well. Mm-hmm. And then I got a so job. You're busy. Yeah, Bam. I was doing a lot. Because um, <laughs> I was always working in retail at Debenhams at the time. Yeah. So that was that. And so I was doing that for a while. So that was the two years of A-levels. And then, so then it, get to the point, it came to the point where I started to think about uni. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, okay, whatever happens, like I'm going to uni in London. Like I decided that I want to move there. I need to be in the city. Because I kept going up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. And then so many things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do because like obviously with train times, you have to come back. My parents were really like, no, we don't want you there that late. It's not safe. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to go on shoots, like people was like, I don't want you going there by yourself. And... So I was like, okay, I need to go to London because all of these things are here. I've already like built up my these connections and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to continue to work with them from here. Mm-hmm. So um, I like well, most of my unis were London unis. Right. To my parents, kind of like they were like, mm, I don't know if that's a good idea. It's gonna right. be expensive, but anyway. So yeah, then that's when I so I decided I wanted to do journalism. I felt like that's what I was doing mm-hmm. um, because I'd been working for these two. Um, magazines as a journalist and I was also writing about music and stuff like that so journalism made sense at the time so then yeah I got into the University of the Arts of London okay. to study journalism mm-hmm. and that's how I moved here how um, old were you then then so I'm I turned 18 in July and then I moved in the September so okay. I was 18 yeah okay cool so um the the first um magazine you you or the first blog you worked for that was um what was that the note uh, VS, VS, VS mm-hmm. notebook do you think that sort of opened you know a lot of doors for you because you, you you got sort of uh, certified contact you based on your writing yeah. from there so, so do you think that sort of opened the door for you yeah, yeah. I, definitely and it was just it was like a really immersive learning experience for mm-hmm. me I was sixteen. And the two, um, so it was Akua Apia and Maiwa. So Maiwa and Akua were running VS Notebook and Mm -hmm. I was working with them and I learned so much from them, um, especially as like older black women who were like creative and were strong in themselves Mm -hmm. who, and they kind of taught me about like feminism and just being confident, unapologetic women. Mm -hmm. And like just, I hadn't, I hadn't had that experience before that. So And they kind of like it's it's rare to find that in Reading. Yeah. As well. Yeah, because everyone in Reading there was like you wanted to fit in. Um and if you in Reading was a kind of environment where if you're kind of like go against the grain, you're kind of seen as a bit odd. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think for me that spirit like I struggled to find myself a lot and I kind of battled with kind of with who I am Mm -hmm. and I wanna be this, but I'm interested in this. And so like moving to London was like a space where I felt like I can really delve into all the aspects of who I want to be yep. and who I'm trying to be. Mm-hmm. And I met these two women, yeah, and they taught me so much, like both directly and indirectly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really fueled me. Um, and yeah, so the, yeah, I think definitely yeah. VS Notebook taught me, taught me so much. And it was just also meeting other people who were doing so many different things mm-hmm. and 
because I was working with them, I also learned about like the process of how to start a magazine, mm. how to like work on emails, and so I used to help them with doing interviews. I helped them in terms of doing branding. So it was it was just the three of us. So everything was done by the three yep. of us. So it was like a really, really like for someone at my age to be in a position to learn that much was really, really great. Helpful. Yeah. Awesome. So um, you went on to. Uh from uh, creative writing to DJing mm-hmm. um, and uh, creative consulting as well. Um, what made you do that transition? How did that transition happen? Whether, yeah. Did you start off as a DJ first or was it creative consulting you were doing um, mm. first and then go off uh, into DJing? I think DJ came first. Okay. DJ came first because I'd always, I think I, there was a point, I was doing music journalism for a while. Mm-hmm. So when I was working at Certified UK and VS Notebook, I used to write a lot about um, a lot of like artists who were kind of emer- were emerging in London. Mm-hmm. And I was really passionate about it and really passionate about like the growth of right. like the scene and the sort of whatever. What sort of artists were you covering then? So like artists that I wrote about then, like Koji Radical, okay. 808 Inc., um, Tiny Man, uh, Afronaut Zoo, like there was like this collective um, off gang right. that were doing their thing at the time. Um, there were so many people that were kind of like coming up at that mm-hmm. time. We've kind of begun, like some have begun to establish themselves, some already have established right. themselves and gone far. Yeah. But yeah, it was a lot of like people who were sort of start coming up or had been working for a while and were trying to like take it over to the next, to level, the next yeah. level. So yeah, I just used to write about them um, and their music and really kind of analyse. But also some artists across, like, overseas as well. With VS Notebook, like, I'd write about Kendrick Lamar, Mick Jenkins, um, and, like, hip-hop artists I was really into, mm-hmm. Tiffany Goucher, mm-hmm. um, R&B. So I just, like, just everything mm-hmm. that I was into, I didn't really have, like, a limit. So just for anyone that might be watching this and thinking, okay, I'd love for a magazine to sort of, um, you know, write, do an article on me or... or or uh, get magazine coverage, you know, how would they go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Or how, you know, from the other side of it, when you're looking for someone to write about, yeah. um, you know, what what do you take into consideration when you're making sort of that, that decision? The decision. I think um, you have, like, so most people, if you don't have, if you're doing it by yourself, so it'd be like writing sort of like a press release, mm-hmm. per se. So writing a press release, which kind of includes who you are, um, like a little description of like your music, like a link, and just like all the information that somebody who wanted to write about you would mm-hmm. need, right. and then send it to relevant publications or magazines who fit with what you're doing mm-hmm. and okay. align with like the type of person that you are mm-hmm. and the kind of area that you want to go into. I'd say would be that. Um, but then also, I think the more that you kind of grow, you kind of become on people's radars. Mm-hmm. And so, if if a journalist is kind of doing their job, like a music journalist is on job and is paying attention and is keeping their ear to the mm-hmm. ground. If you kind of, you know, push your music in the right spaces and do, like, keep growing and keep putting the work in, eventually they should... They reach out to you. ...see what yeah. you're doing um, and reach out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it doesn't always work like that. Just because of the... Because money needs to be made. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the talent doesn't really always get the limelight right. because of the money needing to be made. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that that is the route. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd give advice to anybody who wanted to get featured in blogs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Would be um, 
create like and also be I think email etiquette is really important mm-hmm. because there are a lot of um, artists who would like send emails with their music but like they either would like be impolite in mm-hmm. their emails or they would kind of like n- essential details or essential information miss out so we kind of show that like they're not, they don't send this to the publication, keeping in mind what the publication right. is about. They uh-huh. just sent it blindly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, for example... So I think that's important as well, isn't it? Just, yeah. just researching what what the publication's actually about, about before you send it. Yeah. Because, you know, not all publications, you know, hip-hop's so broad, not all publications... For example, if, I'm a, if I do trap music, it doesn't mean I'm going to get on... Uh, underground magazine yeah, or something yeah. like that, you know? You yeah, know? that's the thing. So, so yeah, for example, if it's a hip hop like magazine, don't send an R and B track. Yeah, like, exactly. Just that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And um, so you started at uh, certified, mm-hmm. uh, and that got you into DJ. So what was that journey like? That transition. So it wasn't from... certified that got me into DJing because I I was I'd been writing there for a while, mm-hmm. but I'd always been. So I think what happened was like I fell out of like I just got really frustrated with the journalism mm-hmm. industry. Um, and I what stopped was, what doing was frustrating the music, music journalism. It was just music journalism specifically kind of got tiresome for me and it made me fall out of love with the music because like, I wanted to put on artists who I thought were good. Like, right. I didn't care about the numbers. I didn't care about how many followers they had. It was like, I listened to something and it moved me mm-hmm. and I wanted to write about that. But then it was just, um, it became frustrating because one, it was like, in terms of loads of other publications, it was about who got there first. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, an album would come out today, and on the very same day, 10 reviews have come out. Right. And to me, that doesn't make sense. And mm. you can't have listened to it enough and, to write yeah. in depth. And then even just listen to it and then sort of being able to obs- uh, absorb what, yeah. what the content you know, of, the, of the album is. In, it's in really happening. And yeah. you know, sometimes you notice new things later on. And it's like, so maybe like yeah. you, you miss something yeah, in the yeah, first listen yeah. and then you catch it in the second. Yeah. So for me, it's just like, it was really frustrating. And like the whole concept of like, writing a review on the day well unless it's like you're maybe you're working for a big a big publication and they've sent you the album two mm-hmm. weeks before mm-hmm. but for the most part i saw a lot of that happening and so a lot of flippant reviews would be written and for me i would really take my time and write in depth and really analyze like every little layer of things that i picked up mm-hmm. in the album mm-hmm. and it was just this really like this drive that i had so i found myself putting all of this time into something that would just kind of like disappear in a day because everyone's like moved on to the next thing or it's like and then also I think with the way that it was worked so a lot of the publications that I was writing for were like independent publications so it was so it was like one one hand would certify the kind of process in terms of like it's like artists would pay to get their thing written on the whatever Uh but then so I was always conflicted with okay if this artist doesn't pay do I now not write about their thing even Mm -hmm. though I so because I think I care too like maybe not too much but I really wanted them to be featured but they were saying that they weren't going to pay and then I'm stuck in this crossroad of like okay I want you to go far and I still want to write about you but also I need to make money somehow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was just that sort of um, struggle between it being sustainable but me not losing why I started doing this in mm-hmm. the first place. Mm-hmm. And it kept falling towards the money, the money, the money, and it just got really frustrating for yeah. me. So I was I just like, imagine. yeah. Yeah. It's um, like business and creative, you know, it's all yeah, that, yeah. that that battle mm-hmm. between art and commerce. You yeah. Know? Um so um you left the journalism. Yeah, so I stopped I stopped writing for certified and I was still doing VS notebook for a little while. Um, and then when I started, I think when I was getting to my first year of uni, I kind of like fell back on that as well. 
and then um, I was just doing uni, and then I think in my like fast forward like several like things, but in my third year of uni or second year, I met um, a woman um, called Lauren Platt, mm-hmm. and she runs a night called Work It, um, mm-hmm. and has done a lot. So she's doing artist management at the moment. She's like an artist as well. She's directing videos and things mm-hmm. like that. So, but she's been running a night called Work It. For 10 years mm-hmm. and she went to my uni LCC and I met her um, she does a show on NTS radio as well so I met her when I was because um, my boyfriend works at NTS radio mm-hmm. and we'd gone to Gillett Square to interview him and then she happened to be there and then we kind of just met and connected and she happened to be doing a project at my uni mm-hmm. which was like um, about trying to form a collective and help this collective of young creators bridge the gap between university and the industry Mm -hmm. so because she felt that when she was in uni she struggled to bridge that gap and had to do everything by herself so for her it was like a thing of giving back and helping people in the way that she was she would have had that Mm -hmm. sort of like um help so then yeah we like met she was like we're meeting this thursday come so me and my friend went and then like it was a group of us like from some from my uni some not and then, like, some DJ, some musicians, some, like, our graphic designers. It was just, like, a mix of people. Um, and then we formed this idea, like, the name was going to be Connect2, and it mm. was about connecting and sort of bringing all of our individual networks together. And so then she, like, she DJs as well, so she took us to um, Boiler Room Studio and, like, taught us how to DJ. And then she took us around and kind of... So that's what, that was my first time ever, like... I'd always wanted to DJ, like, it was something that I'd written as a goal in mm-hmm. my diary, mm-hmm. but I never had the access or the resource to do it. Mm-hmm. So, while like, meeting her was kind of, like, my first... Like, the gateway for me to sort of get into it. So we would Where did you meet her then? Was that what, when you were at uni in London? Yeah, yeah. So this okay. was this was last year. Okay. So then, so then, what the idea was like we started putting on nights. So connect to the first event that we did was at Corsica Studios and it was called Game Over. Mm. And I DJed. We all DJed at that night. So that was my first time ever playing out. Mm. And so we did we did three nights. Um, one at Corsica Studios, one at Boiler Room Studio in Hoxton, and the third one we did at my uni. Mm. And so I DJed at all three of those nights. And that was the first time, like, that was my, like, DJing out. It was the nights that we'd put on. What was that like then for you to be... It was great. Like, yeah. we were all, like, me and my friend, my best friend, Danica, like, we were just so excited. It was just really exciting. And it was like, okay, this is all the stuff that we've been wanting to do. And it's right here. It's happening. We're putting, like, and then when you we put on the event and you're in the space and you're like, whoa, like, we did this. Yeah in Corsica Studios, mm-hmm. and I was like, is this real? Like, okay, this is actually happening. So it was really exciting, and it was really motivating, mm-hmm. and, like, it just kind of was, like, cemented, like, that it, um, our dreams were possible. Mm-hmm. And it that was, you like, can do anything, Yeah, basically. that yeah. this can happen, yeah. like, we can really do this. So, like, with, with music, um, I guess your, most people's, like, first entry point is, like, their family. Mm. So my dad played a lot of, like, he loved R&B, like, Joe, R. Kelly... Um, and then he also played a lot of Zimbabwe music, mm-hmm. so um, like Oliver Mtukudzi, or I'll say that in like an English right. accent, but Mapfumo, um, a lot of people that him, and then, but my dad also loved reggae as well, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. he played a lot of Barrington Levi, um, but then also like a lot of South African music, like mm-hmm. a group called Pitch Black Afro, because he, my dad like was also really into music and had friends that would always like burn CDs for him. But then my mum was more into, she was very much R&B, like she loved Alicia Keys, Neo, Whitney Houston, Mm -hmm. and then she loved like South African gospel, so there's an artist called Lundi, um, and like Brenda Fassi, like those kind of people, people that my mum loved, so that was kind of me, but then... 
then I was I guess growing up I listened to a lot of pop and what everybody else listened Mm -hmm. to came to about like the age of 16 I fell in love with hip-hop like Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. so I guess I have always had quite an eclectic taste and again like I was saying before like I've lived in different environments and been around different types of people. So that's exposed me to a lot of different types of music Mm -hmm. and I can appreciate a lot of different types. So Mm -hmm. when I started DJing, um, I didn't really have a sound per se. It was more just, I'd play for the mood Mm -hmm. because I I could, I had enough music for like any particular group of people that I could play for like whatever that mood. So if it was like an R&B party, if it was like more hip hop, I would play Afro beats and dance hall. Um, so like I've been trying to figure out what is gonna make me distinct as a DJ and what will what is is unique about me. Why do you want me to come and play at mm-hmm. your night, sort of thing? Mm-hmm. So I figured that um, I guess in everything, the only original thing anybody ever has is themselves. Right. Everything else has been done before. Yep. So yep. trying to decide, okay, who am I and how do I tell that story through music? And then, so when I think about me growing up in the UK and being born in Zimbabwe and a lot of my family living in South Africa, a lot of my mum's side of the family is South African as well. So I found that this, um, like UK funky and a lot of South African house are very similar. Mm. Like the tempos, the beats, the like um, drum patterns are all very similar. And I just like, I felt like I can mix those really mm. well. Mm-hmm. And then I found that, um, what's it called? Then I, I could play like garage into that and kind of go into that. Then with Garage, I can sort of play R&B alongside that. Mm. So I've kind of found this like sort of harmony between um, UK funky, South African house, South African gospel, and Afrobeats, R&B. And then Kwaito, which is like another South African genre, is kind of, I guess, inspired by hip-hop, but mm-hmm. it still has like the South African rhythm. Mm-hmm. And it, I think I kind of, I'd say, you know, like West Coast hip-hop mm-hmm. and how it's like kind of laid, laid back. back. Yeah, yeah. Like you like yeah. kind of, you're like, kind of like, yeah. that's quieter. Like it's very laid back and just like that kind of yeah. groove. So if, yeah, I think that's like my, so when I played at Ace, that's the first time I've really kind of been able to go into that spectrum. Because the kind of parties I was playing at before were kind of parties where People just want to hear what they know. Mm. People want to dance and they want R&B classics. And to kind of... You can go a bit out, but not too far mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. So, like, so for the Zimbabwe music, for example, like, South African music is really, like, becoming very prevalent, especially here in the UK. Like, a lot of people are loving South African house at mm-hmm. the moment. So you can play that a lot more now and people will hear that and will dance to that. But then when you play the sort of less popular genres and all the Afrobeat or, like, the... It's, yeah, unless it's like you're playing to people who have an open ear, mm-hmm. like it doesn't really work. So this Ace gig kind of was like the stepping stone into this realm that I want to go into mm-hmm. of playing for people who were listeners as well as just like party goers. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind yeah. of where I'm at and just solidifying that. So you're still in the process of trying to find your your unique style or you've just about found it yeah so i feel like i'm i'm, I'm really tapping into it like i'm close like okay. i'm about to get it right but um because this i've only just re- like because it's more like in terms of my own head mm-hmm. but in terms of like having played consistently out with that sound i haven't yeah. done it yet so it's pardon me sorry it's only that one gig mm-hmm. so the more that i do and the more that i see how people respond to it and the more i can because with the most mi- the mixes that i've done i always start with like a concept um, and so, like, in the bio, I will write, like, the sort of story that I was trying to tell or the right. thing I was trying to figure out mm-hmm. through that. So I think at the moment it's, like, when I'm playing out, I'm exploring and I'm testing the waters. And I think the more of that exploring that I do, 
the more I will get to a point where I really hone in. Mm-hmm. But then it's always going to be like a an evolving thing, yeah. but kind of more strong in what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Now, um, you've also been doing a lot of um, creative consulting work as well. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that, like what that is yeah. and what, what you've done uh, in that space. Well, when I started creative consulting, I didn't know it was consulting. Um, it was it started in my uni because I, when I was at uni, first, second year of uni, I worked for... Um, an organisation called Shades of Noir and Shades of Noir is all about um, sort of uh, implementing diversity and equality into arts education Mm -hmm. so it's based within my university funded by my university but it's independent so we did a lot like we did um, they put on events which had different themes like feminisms decoding masculinity um, like the like looking at mental health um, and sort of creative ways of healing and things like that so there was always a theme so for every event that we'd organise for that, we'd mm. also create a zine for it, right. which would be like an informative educational zine. Mm. So we'd write for that, source like artists and other writers and stuff like that, and then also write for the online blog. So then also, so what happened, in a way, um, for many other universities, Shades of Noir has kind of played the role of a consulting role in terms of like, a lot of universities in the UK have issues with attainment like for um black and monophic IOTs I don't like the BAME term but mm. it works for what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. so they have a lot of issues with um sort of the attainment gap they have a lot of issues with the lack of diversity and they have a lot of, so all of these things so Shades of Noir kind of comes in and acts as a vessel to like break down these issues mm-hmm. and a lot of it is kind of like um, people talk about like decolonizing. Mm-hmm. So shades of normal come in and sort of like there's like a term like deco- decolonizing the curriculum mm-hmm. and making the curriculum mm-hmm. inclusive. So it, there's a consulting sort of role that shades of noir played in that in terms of like so they've done events at Ravensbourne at the Royal College of Arts at Kingston Uni. Um, so through that, so then what we used to do, end up doing is like we'd go to meetings with like the heads of my uni and like different departments would end up kind of reaching out to Shades of Noir and to us as the like the students who work, work for Shades of Noir and run Shades of Noir and be like, okay, like what do you think like is needed here or we're trying to engage with the students in this way but we don't know how. And um, so Aisha Richards, who founded Shades of Noir, was like an amazing mentor another woman I learned so much from and Mm -hmm. it's been a big part of like my growth Mm -hmm. and so she always used to say like your opinions and your thoughts are valuable don't Mm -hmm. give them away for free Mm -hmm. because what would happen is like a lot Mm -hmm. of the time ideas would get poached Mm -hmm. because we had this valuable information that the people who were in jobs like they're paid to engage with students were failing to engage Mm -hmm. so they come and ask us we'd give them the information they'd use it and then go off but we didn't benefit anything from it so it became like so it's like at the end of the day if you can see that the people who who were giving you this information just put them in a place where they can have that influence Mm -hmm. that they can play that role Mm -hmm. so that's what Aisha was always used to instill in us like you know you are valuable Mm -hmm. and these things that you have to say change things and Mm -hmm. they influence things and you need to think along those lines Mm -hmm. so that's kind of when I started thinking in that strategic sense and looking at my opinions as more um, than just like throwaway things but more just like I can implement them and make something out of Mm -hmm. them I can put them into a strategy I can help people to engage I can help people to get an insight into my experience Mm -hmm. if they're not from that experience Mm -hmm. sort of thing so that was what I started doing with Shades of Noir Um, and then doing a lot more in other departments in my uni. So then, with, now I'm working with Team Catford. Mm-hmm. With Team Catford, my role um, has kind of been 
in engaging with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things, basically the areas that I'm passionate about, so like with working with Shades of Noir was about inclusivity and diversity mm-hmm. and making sure that there were equal opportunities for everyone, especially, um, and for me obviously as a young black woman, that's kind of like my experience. Mm-hmm. And then also like I studied art and art has been what has kind of given me so many opportunities and open doors for me and mm-hmm. allowed me, kind of put me in a place where I'm able to change my life mm. and rewrite, I guess, what the odds were supposed yeah. to be, sort of thing. Create your own rules. Create my own rules yeah. and create spaces and um, empower myself in, in instances where I don't have to rely on a organisation or another authority to empower me, but mm. I, now, I've, I now know the methods and the skills that I need to be able to empower myself mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and just what it's like to be to live somewhere where the resource to achieve the certain things that you want to achieve aren't there. Mm-hmm. And so, like, how much harder it makes it sort of thing. So those are the areas that I'm really passionate about. Um, and just speaking for and by and not being spoken for. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of time as young people, we're spoken for mm-hmm. and people don't take us seriously yeah. and don't acknowledge us as people who are able to think and Sometimes think Sometimes don't ourselves. even take our views into consideration, yeah. right? So. Or even bother to ask. Yeah. So it's like a, an issue, like for example, at my universities where I first noticed that that was a problem because they put on events and then for like the students and then none of the students would turn up and then they'd be like, okay, why aren't the students turning mm-hmm. up? And it's like, one, you didn't ask the students what they wanted mm-hmm. and two, you didn't involve them in putting on these events. Yeah. And so it's like, it's just, of course, they're not turning up because it's not, it's not engaging with them. Mm-hmm. It's not interesting us. So that's the one area that I was really interested in. And also just like, I guess, working with Shades of Noir, like I um, had the opportunity to like speak at conferences and do things like that. And every time, so the fact, the biggest one I did was I went to Canada um, to speak at a conference which is about diversity. Mm-hmm. And I was the only young person in the room. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it was all teachers and, like, PhD students and tutors and professors who were speaking about, like, their students and what their students need. That some of them, that was, like, their topic mm-hmm. and their area. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening as a student and I'm like, some of you haven't asked your students. You've spoken for and assumed. And they're, like, making, like, snide, like, jokes and... So I think I wrote an article um, about it, about what it means to be young and be socially aware, but to be like kind of dismissed with things like, oh, you haven't like grown yet, or just wait and see when you mm-hmm. like, because of the way that I'm doing things is redefining like what is normal. Mm-hmm. So like with my parents, that was an issue I always had where it's like, I want to do music and I want to write and I want to DJ and I want to, and I can do it mm-hmm. all. I don't have mm-hmm. to, and I don't have to follow science. I don't have to be a doctor. And I'm in a space where the resources for me to do that are mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. But you're not listened to until you get to a point where you've proven something. Yep. So yeah. By then it's too late because now it's like you've, you've got enough sort of knowledge and experience to sort of yeah. make your own sort yeah. of, um, you know, uh, judgments. judgments and that. Um, so talk to me about um, authentic duplicates. Mm-hmm. What, what's that? Um, how did that all come about? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, authentic because like the, I, that was the name that I came up with when I did that blog spot mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier, and I started that. Um, and now for me, it th- it's just continuously evolved as I've grown as a person, as I've learned new things, as I've kind of my philosophies have kind of broadened. Because mm-hmm. um, essentially, it, it it is a philosophy, like mm-hmm. just that idea of like there not being anything new under the sun, and kind of acknowledging the fact that the past is always with you and you can't move forward if you don't know what came before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that is like a philosophy. But um, 
and I guess I was 15 and having these ideas but as I've gotten older like I'm now more informed in that so the depth is a lot more so I've read a lot more I understand my history a lot more I understand like the present a lot more and so the depth kind of gets deeper each and every time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and the reason why I've stuck with it is um it just constantly reminds me of where I started mm-hmm. and that's something that I never want to lose um no matter how far I go with what I'm doing mm-hmm. I don't want to forget why I started it in the first place mm-hmm. um and forget that like I said earlier like that history that has informed me and paved the way for me um, and I think in the future where I want to move with Authentic Duplicate is actually it being um, like a its own entity in which everything that I do comes from that. Okay. So if like I'm... Like an extension of your personal brand, yeah. you say? So if I'm growing into, if I like kind of stepped into this world of like creative consultancy, so if I'm growing further into that, Authentic Duplicate becomes the company mm-hmm. where the like the brand the organizations the businesses will come to authentic duplicate mm-hmm. for that consultancy okay. sort of thing mm-hmm. and that ethos is the ethos that i will use in all of like the whatever i come up with for that mm-hmm. particular issue because it's problem solving to a certain extent mm-hmm. so yeah it will kind of draw from the past the present in terms of like how to move forward in the future um yeah so that's kind of what what i want it to be uh, so what's like what's um what's the future plan then i mean what what do you sort of um you know in the next five to ten years what what are your goals what are, what are your plans and what would you like to ideally like to achieve yeah um well i've just finished uni so my main like now goal is to stabilize myself mm-hmm. and i'm living in the city which is really expensive mm-hmm. um so it's just about finding a work-life balance and being able to pay rent Mm -hmm. and still being able to like and not be surviving and like kind of I want to be able to at least like be earning something that I can yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be able to save you know what I mean I want to be able to like put money towards something invest in things and not constantly be like if I don't get paid this month it's over like Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything's Mm -hmm. done you know Mm -hmm. what I mean yeah um or like like figuring out okay it's like oh I haven't been like what's gonna so yeah, that's like my now goal is it's like I just need to, even if it is month to month, at least I have a certainty, mm-hmm. like I have a, you know, stability. That's what I'm trying to work towards. Um, and then just developing the three things, the main three main things that I'm doing at the moment. So I was saying earlier that um, I've realized that I'm not a journalist mm-hmm. after this three year degree. Um, I'm more, I'm a writer mm-hmm. and I now understand the difference between the two. And so I'm kind of in a space now where I'm transitioning and evolving into the practice of being a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, still, I can still do journalism within that, but I'm kind of moving into what it is to be a writer. So creative writing, literature, short stories, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm DJing. I'm trying to continue to get more gigs and practice and just become a better DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm constantly listening to new music. I'm going out to new places. And then in terms of my creative consultancy at the moment, Team Catford is kind of for at least like a, the rest of the year mm-hmm. is something that I'm going to be doing. Um, something that I will continue to be passionate about even after I've kind of like stopped working with Team Catford and this project has kind of reached its end for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to continue, I want to take this model that I've created, this Young and Vocals, I feel like there's a lot more that it can do mm-hmm. um, in many different spaces. It yeah. doesn't just have to be like, for a council trying to connect with its young people mm-hmm. during regeneration. Mm-hmm. But just that concept of being young and being heard and being part of the change that's going to affect you in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. So that's like something that I really want to do. But, um, 
I think overall, like, I'm very aware of, like, the path that I've chosen to go down is one that will continue to, like, change, mm-hmm. evolve, and mm-hmm. As you evolve. As, as well, I as evolve. Yeah, of and course, of course. Just, like, how I got into DJing, I didn't plan for that, per se, but it happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open to that. Um, and, yeah, so just following suit with what I've been doing, but just growing it and learning and, um, yeah, that's, yeah, growing, that's expanding. Mm-hmm. That's, like, my goal but I guess maybe like in terms of more solid goals that I'd love to own property um that would be great (laughs) um I want to travel a lot more I want to be able to afford to travel a lot more um and really like and see the world Mm -hmm. and document that and incorporate Mm -hmm. that those experiences into the work that I'm doing Mm -hmm. um and I want to finish a book that I've been writing a book for a while Mm -hmm. and I want to be an author Mm -hmm. um yeah. So a lot of goals, mm. a lot of goals. Yeah. Awesome. Right, Cherise, thank you so much, man, for thank coming down, for, for sharing me. your uh, deep mm-hmm. knowledge and experience <laughs> with my audience. Guys, please follow her. What's your What's your handle? What's your so Cherise um, Cherise with two e's and a c on everything. Just okay. Cherise, yeah. Across uh, Instagram. Instagram, Twitter. Um, I don't. Yeah, that's kind of pretty much what I use okay. my Facebook I don't really use it very much okay. so Instagram and Twitter would be the I'm going to link it up guys I'm going to link it up please follow her uh, she's awesome she's a DJ creative consultant and a writer you definitely want to follow her Sharice thank you so much thank you for having me please follow me as well guys Sean at Sean underscore Fraser that's Sean underscore Fraser thank you for giving me your time today Sharice thank, thank you once again thank you guys see you again soon goodbye for now goodbye Woo! Yay.